a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. The air is so pure, the zephyr so free. This is Will Houck with KNBC so and Nevada Capital and News, and I'm on the line with singer-songwriter Dom Flemons. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, you use the term songster to describe yourself and, and your music, and I'd love if you could talk about that, that word and what that means to you. Oh, sure thing. Yeah, I guess uh, several years back I found a book that was written in the mid-80s by a blues scholar by the name of Paul Oliver. And basically, a songster was a musician who played a variety of material for their audiences in local communities before the turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And so when I first heard the term, it was used as more of an anachronism to describe what people were calling themselves before they chose specific genres like blues or country or jazz or what have you. And I found that as I was trying to advertise myself as a musician, I was struggling with figuring out ways to describe my repertoire because it's, it's sort of a, a composite of a lot of different parts of American music. And so when I came across the term songster, I decided to incorporate that into uh, sort of the moniker of my performance uh, as the American songster, I do a lot of songs from the United States, and thought that that made a really nice title to go along with the type of music I was doing, to show people there was a variety, but it also allowed me to have um, sort of a extra space to be able to play different types of music that I was drawn to. Right. I like that. that. That's a cool deal. Well, you're known for a, a bunch of different things, but one of the things that stands out about your, your body of work is your focus on African-American influence on string music. And I was interested in what inspired you to start researching that. Well, it just kind of came as a matter of course, you know. Um, as I got deeper into the music, I started to see that there were aspects of American music that featured uh, African-American performers, but they were outside of the uh, the classifications that I had seen in the technical, I guess, uh, the technical like ideology or school of thought, like um, in blues, uh, a, a lot of the roots of the blues are based around the idea of the field and the spiritual music. But when I started to study more into string band music, I found that there was a fourth part to the tapestry that could be added because uh, string band music, square dance music, the old time reels and and songs like that, the old folk songs, they provided a an extra element to the story of the birth of the blues in American music in a way that was, I guess, it, it, it expanded the whole idea of where the musical influences could come from and where they could go. Right. And so as I began to read these stories, I started to apply that into my my. Uh, stage pattern when I would talk to people on. Uh, I've always been influenced by a lot of the old-time folk singers like Pete Seeger or Dave Van Ronk and Josh White and mm-hmm. uh, just a whole variety of others who told stories while they performed songs. And 
as I began to find the stories, I started to try to convey those to the audience because I figured that that would be something that would um, educate people. It would also change their minds. And then in some cases, uh, another part of my music is, is uh, to present uh, cultural memory to people so that when they hear the music, they would hopefully like the music in of itself, but they would also be inspired in a different way by the cultural aspects of the music or the implications around certain performers and certain situations. And they might be able to reflect back to themselves and, and they can find their own interesting stories of folk culture because there are just, there are a million of them. So it's, it's not like there's ever a shortage of stories, but I always have tried to bring in interesting stories. And as a, someone who's African American and Mexican American by, uh, by heritage that's mm-hmm. something i've always tried to place out there yeah it's it's amazing man. it's, it's such a such a, a a rich um addition to the um, american songbook so i i appreciate all the work you've been doing with that oh i appreciate that thank you so your most recent album is, is called black cowboys and one of my favorite songs on that album is is he's a lone ranger and i was wondering if you could tell us the story behind that song now he's a u.s marshal and a lone ranger he is a u.s marshal and a lone ranger he is a lone ranger bass reeves is his name there was a man way out west rode around this country with the star on his breast every white man and an indian tribe knew he was the baddest Absolutely. man when i started working with the album Black Cowboys. First, it came from reading about the history of Black Cowboys. Being from Phoenix, Arizona originally, I hadn't heard a lot of information about Black Cowboys in a historical perspective, even though in my own family's history, there is a a family history of migration out west from Mm -hmm. Texas, as well as Arkansas, and then even on my mom's side, uh, coming up from Guadalajara, Mexico, up to Arizona. But when I started to look at black cowboys as a historical phenomenon, it really began to open up this this far bigger, uh, almost a Pandora's box of information about the West. Mm-hmm. Because to acknowledge black cowboys is to acknowledge a multifaceted and multicultural West. And so just that subject alone was something that I kept in mind that would be an, an amazing a project idea, which I was able to put together. So there was that one aspect. The second aspect was the musical aspect. What what are black cowboy songs, and how are they different from white cowboy songs? And I decided to take the approach of uh, using material that was um, had stories associated with, like Home on the Range or Goodbye Old Paint. Those they have uh, stories associated with black cowboys and mm-hmm. in other cases songs like he's a lone ranger where i wrote that song and also steel pony blues after reading some of the historical documentation about some of the early uh, black cowboys and i also wanted to bring texas blues into the picture because a lot of fans of texas country blues um, know that there's a link to the black cowboy story and so I wanted to bring that into the umbrella of cowboy music as well. And so reading the um, the great book by R.T. Burton, Black Gun, Silver Star, as well as several other stories on Bass Reeves, I composited a, a song based off of his life story 
and I decided to use a, a blues boogie-woogie in the style of Lightning Hopkins from Centerville, Texas. And so mashing those two things together, I wanted to create a, a much bigger picture of black cowboys as a blues phenomenon, as well as it being a country and western or a western music phenomenon as well. Right. That's that's amazing. I, I didn't realize the Lightning Hopkins uh, aspect of that song. That's that's cool stuff. Well, it's funny now that, um, well, actually, well, this year, uh, with all of the different acts that have been talking about uh, black cowboys, there's a meme of a woman that's kind of uh, at a rodeo. It's sort of in the 70s, and she's sort of like dancing to some music. And uh, that comes from a film. There's a scene where Lightning goes to an all-black rodeo in Houston. And for me, when I first saw that film, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it stuck in my mind that black, that uh, Lightning Hopkins was a black cowboy, even though you would, you wouldn't necessarily see, you know, you know, cowboy singer Lightning Hopkins singing uh, cowboy songs per se. It still culturally is a part of his story, as well as people like Mance Lipscomb and Henry Ragtime and Texas Thomas, who I address in another part of the uh, the album. Mm-hmm. And Lead Belly, who's another one that I honor within that, they all kind of fit culturally within this idea of cowboys. And so I found, because the thing with black cowboys is right from the beginning, the the idea of cowboys begins to expand into Western pioneers. And so in, in the African-American community, there's such a broad story of what a Western pioneer could be. Some were laborers, of course and cowboys who were independent contractors a lot of the time. But there were people who owned ranches. There were religious groups that moved out west to uh, escape the um, just the, uh, the oppression of re- the Reconstruction era. Mm-hmm. And then you find uh, independent entrepreneurs who are, are creating new towns out in these sort of uh, unregulated territories before they all became the United States. And this is over a very long period of time. It basically goes back to the Louisiana Purchase all the way to the Civil Rights era in terms of the, the full movement out west. Right. But um, but this idea was something that uh, became very prevalent when I started to spend a lot of time trying to do the, the basic who, what, when, why, and how of black cowboys. It then turned into this very elaborate story. And so that was something that I was drawn into as well, just trying to uh, trying to find that balance between the stories of the living cowboys emotionally and kind of a, in a holistic way, mm-hmm. as well as trying to honor the repertoire of the Western genre itself, because I also wanted to make it accessible to people in, a, in the way that um, another Arizona native, Marty Robbins, made his wonderful gunfighter uh, Ballads and Trail Songs album, right. which is a, a, still one of the most well-known Western records that people um, have in their minds when they think of a country and Western cowboy music, right. and either that or Gene Autry. And so I tried to kind of go at it that way, and that was that was something that you know worked out very well for the project. Yeah. You know, while you were talking about kind of expanding the time period of that, uh, and I know it doesn't um, include cowboys necessarily, but when you uh, think of the Great Migration and um, and also um, uh, African Americans moving out after Reconstruction, um, how, how do you how do you conceive of, of all that working together? I mean, is it kind of just one big movement? Do you kind of separate the two things like the Harlem Renaissance and whatnot, or is that kind of can you kind of think of those things as as the, real similar? Well, one thing you have to think of in terms of 
connect it to something like the Harlem Renaissance, you have to think of this as being one to two generations before that. Mm-hmm. So you have an era in which people are 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 emancipated and freed from slavery. But with that, you have choices and decisions that need to be made about how you want to live your life. And so the Westward movement has uh, just a myriad of stories of what people decided to do when they went out west, compared to it being just one story that defines it all. And so when the Harlem Renaissance, you have to think of it being, let's say, uh, rural Texas, they move out west, and this is what happened with uh, Nat Love specifically, who was one of the black cowboys that I wrote up through Pony Blues. He was born into slavery in Tennessee, and after emancipation, he moved to northern Arizona and was a cowboy for several decades. And then as the train lines came in, he decided to become a Pullman porter. So then he lived in Chicago, where right. he was a Pullman porter for his later years. So we think of this as being a phenomenon of cowboys moving into Pullman porters and that turning into modern... African-American culture, you have to think of the Harlem Renaissance, part of that population comes from these people that were moving from the West over into New York City, as well as the people that were already in New York City at the same time. So you have a kind of a very fluid and free-flowing society that's moving, especially in segregated times, because of course the train stations are the sort of the satellite point in which someone could travel within the um, the means of the time. Right. And so that, that's something that ended up becoming a big surprise as I was researching through it, because those are two things I wouldn't necessarily associated next to each other, but I found that there was a lot of information uh, correlating these two histories as uh, part of a, a singular history of kind of the upward, uh, upward movement of uh, African-American people. Right. Yeah, people seeking opportunity, you know, where, wherever they can find it. Exactly. And so the idea of if they were a cowboy or a Pullman porter or a grave digger or a preacher, all of those things, in some ways, uh, it's not as important to be focus on the, the exact job, but more of the idea that a community is moving from one space to another to fit the times. And I think in that, in that sort of way, you find, especially in the Reconstruction era, people moving to different era, areas of the country to build a new life, whatever that new life may be. And that that's, uh, again, is all over the place when it comes to what did people specifically do, because they did everything, which is one of the, uh, to me, is a very empowering part of the history, because it, it lets the reader of the history know that there have been movements, there has been uplift, but, um, you know, history ebbs and flows over the, the decades, and so... You know, even though we may not think of black cowboys as being something that was on the forefront in a completely different era, a hundred years removed, we have a completely different situation. Awesome. That's that's great. That was sort of a, a, a sidetrack, but uh, I'm glad we went down that. That's good stuff. I like it. Yeah, man. So uh, this year you're going to be um, out in Elko. I went uh, last year for my first time uh, to the to the Cowboy Poetry Gathering, and uh, the theme this year is Black Cowboys, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you out there. I was wondering what we could expect um, – expect from you uh, performing at the event uh, what what types of different things are you going to be doing out there well i'll tell you that right as i was starting the project that uh, elko and the national cowboy poetry gathering have been one of my uh, most tireless supporters for this project so the first year i performed there in 2015 uh, i was just putting the project together and i was given so much encouragement to bring these stories into one place that 
Matthews, the great Western artist. He painted the cover of Black Cowboys, but he he heard that I was doing the project, and he just, uh, you know, he pretty much pledged himself to just do the cover. He just came up and said, hey, we're doing the cover for your album. And at that time, I didn't have even an album in place. So I was like, okay. And and that was kind of the theme with all of the all of the um, the elders as well as the board members and the Western Folklife Center, they were just all very, very supportive. And they also gave me a lot of information that uh, was within their own cowboy community that I could use with the project as well. Um, I also uh, got to be friends with um, Don Edwards, the great uh, cowboy singer who was getting a tribute this year. Right. Um, and he was one of the first guys that, that began to tell me about his own stories of meeting black cowboys and the ways that they were called vaqueros negros, um, at least from the regions where Don Edwards was spending his time. They did not call themselves cowhands or cowboys because that was somewhat of a derogative term. So vaqueros negros linked them more to the Mexican cowboys, and that was something that was a part of what Don Edwards told me. It's also the reason I decided to use Little Joe the Wrangler on the record. Um, Don Edwards has a great version, and he also recommended that I pick up a copy of Jack Thorpe's book, uh, Partner of the Wind. Hmm. And Jack Thorpe is the first fellow to self-publish his own book of cowboy songs. Okay. And even his story in the autobiography is linked to a, a situation where he meets a bunch of black cowboys. They sing this really amazing song, and then Jack Thorpe is inspired to write it down. And this is two years before John Lomax publishes his his own seminal work on cowboy songs. You have a fellow Jack Thorpe who is on his own non-academic level. He's produced his uh, book of cowboy songs, but that's all around meeting some black cowboys. We're doing their songs, and it was it was something that was powerful enough for him to move him. And as I read the autobiography, I started to see that some of the things that he was talking about that were distinctive reminded me of what we would now describe as the blues. And so for me, I sort of took an idea of the blues or an idea of a blue quality of singing and applied that to songs like uh, Little Joe the Wrangler or uh, Goodbye Old Paints, another one that's like that as well. Mm-hmm. And that's how the Cowboy Poetry Gathering first got involved with the project. Uh, Wally McCray, one of the legacy poets, he also um, gave me the blessing to recite his poem, Old Proc. And that was, uh, they've just been an essential part. So this year is finally the culmination of something I dreamed of when I first started the project, because there's so much uh, amazing imagery and, and many artifacts, as well as stories around black cowboys, that I was hoping that at some point we'd be able to curate in exhibition. And so my wife and I, we um, have decided to take the album and the, 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 the essence of the album and apply that to the cowboy poetry gathering so we're going to probably have a timeline a great photo gallery we'll have kids uh, programming as well as activities and we will also have several different performers that are going to be showing the many aspects of black cowboys uh, throughout the country because there were a couple of spaces that i really couldn't focus on for my own project like uh, louisiana cowboys hmm. and uh, also um Cowboys from Florida, and so we'll have a, a little bit of information connecting those communities as well. Um, and that's something that, in the context of Elko, we can expand upon what I could do in my 
limited space for the project that I did. And, and I can then, you know, we can help open it up to a whole other level. And so uh, there's a bit of that. And also as a, in this past year, I've traveled to a lot of Western museums who have had amazing exhibitions on black cowboys of different sort, linking it to my project. And I brought in my links uh, that I found as I was traveling along the road, learning learning new stories about the Black West from some of the local communities. And we're going to be bringing that into the context of the gathering as well. Awesome. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to seeing all that. That sounds incredible. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing that Again, for a history that, when you first hear it, it sounds like there would only be just a couple of written passages about black cowboys. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, when you really delve into it, you start finding that there are thousands of stories, just like anything else in the West. But it was just, um, it gives you a sense of of how much information we don't know, right. more more so than the information that we do know. So it's a, it's a to me, it's been just constantly humbling and, and very informative just to learn more of that information. Right. Yeah, my, my, my full-time job is a, uh, I'm a U.S. history teacher, and um, I, I do the radio show yeah, I'm at this community radio station here in Carson. And uh, I, I used your album the last couple of years um, in, in class and, and talked to kids about um, uh, black cowboys and Western migration and stuff. And the shocked looks on their faces when we start talking about this is, is pretty classic because you know, it's, it's not a story that gets, gets told very often at all. And so it's, it's a really unique situation um, uh, for, for us in the classroom as well. Oh, wonderful. Well, that was one of the things that I was really hoping for when it came to how the music came together. I sequenced the album so it would tell almost like a small movie uh, plot line or narrative as it kind of flowed over the listener or, or went into their ears and telling them 18 different stories of the West as best as I, as I could tell them within, you know, the limited amount of time that you could tell in song. But uh, it was meant to be something that was really easy on the ears so that people could listen and understand and a couple of the songs they might have heard before like home on the range and they can hear it in a whole different context and that's really was uh, is really one of the the hearts of of this project is is the idea that if you just take a simple idea of like a cowboy who's an, a quintessential american icon mm -hmm. and show that it can be a multicultural um a multicultural uh, character or icon or archetype, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you've opened up a hundreds of years of history of the United States that I think at one point to, you know, to create a mainstream scholarship on this culture, there were things that were done that I think nowadays we, of course, are wanting to do things different. But it's it's I, I wanted to really focus on the idea that this history, even if you've never heard of it, is as valid and is as present as it was when it was done. And now that you know, now that you've learned about it, you can apply it into all the history that's there. Instead of you know, I don't like to focus on what people didn't do, but I like to focus on the idea that now that it's been done, we can push it forward from there, you know, and that's something I'm glad in the classroom that that's translating as well. So you're kind of focused on uh, um, uh, this thing coming up in, in Elko in January, but um, uh, do you have any new projects that you're working on in the, in the near future? Any, uh, any, any new recordings that are coming out next year, tours, anything like that? Well, I have a couple of things that I've been working at. Um, well, I have a, my album,
album Prospect Hill, which I put out in 2014, I'll be re-releasing that early in the spring. And that's going to be featuring uh, two albums that I did uh, called Prospect Hill, and then there was another one called What Got Over, which came out on Record Store Day. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with the engineer of the original sessions, and we found 12 other tracks uh, within the recording sessions. And so we're going to be re-releasing them with 12 additional tracks uh, for people's listening pleasure, and we've uh, revamped the liner notes and everything. And so that's going to be coming out in the spring. Um, There will also be, there's an album that I worked on, a a compilation of historical recordings I worked on called Proto Billy, in which I contributed liner notes, as well as one of of the tracks features features me on there. And that one is a juxtaposition of uh, wax cylinder recordings next to 78 shellac recordings. And the idea is it's Proto Billy, the... Tin Pan Alley and Minstrel Roots of Country Music. Hmm. And so between 1891 and 1930, there are all of these different recordings of songs written in the 1890s for the Tin Pan Alley stage. And the idea is taking a a wax cylinder recording from the 1890s, juxtaposing it next to a country and western artist, next to many times a rhythm and blues artist or a jazz artist, all playing the same song, but showing the way that the, the material itself can be translated based on style. Right. And so it's a really cool set, three CDs, and that just came out last fall, but that's something that uh, we just got a Wall Street Journal review on it from um, uh, from uh, over in Nashville. And so it's um, it's a that's a, a really great project. Um, I'm working on the Black Cowboys television series right now as well. Wow. Um, a, a movie production company reached out to me to uh, take the again like we did with we're doing with Elko take the 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 essence of the Black Cowboys album and turn that into a historical drama uh, so that people can learn more about Bass Reeves or Bill Pickett and Nat Love and we've we've got a uh, we've got a couple of seasons already laid out featuring all of these amazing and dynamic characters of the West and so we're going to try to. We're going to try to do something that's a bit more historically accurate because, again, that's um, that's one of the things about Western cultures. You have two types of Western culture, which is the literal West, and then you have the West of the imagination, which is where Hollywood cowboys and dime store novels and all that stuff still uh, are being generated to this day. You know, even now to see the album come out and then so many black cowboy uh, projects or ideas or iconography being placed out within popular culture. I mean, it's just such an exciting phenomenon because uh, when I first started it, it was uh, it was not something that people were necessarily talking about. So uh, right. there are a couple of different different things that I got in the works that are that are shaping up pretty well. Well, that's incredible. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that TV series. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it's going to be a really really neat time. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it all comes together. Cool. If people want to know more about you, uh, where should they look online and, and books and things like that? I would I would always go to theamericansongster.com. That's that's the uh, centralized location for all information about uh, about my my uh, travels as well as my albums and and my scholarship that I've done over time. And yeah, that that would be the best place for them to go. Okay. Cool, man. Well, that's uh, that's the the questions I had for you. Thank you for for oh. explaining all that. That was 
that was in depth and, and and amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a ride. And like I said, I'm always finding new stories as I'm going to new parts of the country. Like I went to Montana and Wyoming this year for the first time, and I was blown away that they had their own stories of black cowboys. And that's uh, not just from the scholars, but people in the audience as well. They're they contribute their stories, or they pull me to the side at the merch table and say, hey, have you heard of this guy? And they, they tell me, uh, you know, what would be uh, just an amazing story of someone who, in spite of the odds, persevered and became a prominent member of, of their town or their state or what have you. And it's just really interesting. It's a very interesting juxtaposition where you have, um, you have a pre-civil rights world where you have... Uh, people of color treated as second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. But in the context of the black cowboys, you have situations where at certain points, if a person of color was a prominent settler or pioneer of a certain place, you find that they were given different treatment, sometimes better treatment, just based on the idea that they are a pioneer of this town Hmm. compared to Later on, say you, they built the town, and then the second round of people come in, and then they bring the biases of their urban living to a, a certain town. It's just interesting to see those small subtleties within this story. It very, tells you a lot about the development of the United States, and also the importance of things like the civil rights right struggle of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Because you, you can find that, compared to those stories, these earlier stories come from a time when it was not socially acceptable to have an outspoken voice. And so people had to figure out how to get ahead in spite of those um, social realities of their own times. And so, again, it's that this, this particular subject matter opens up many conversations about this particular um, social phenomenon, you know, in a, in a way that I think people nowadays would find, be empowered and they would find a lot of uh, um, substance to knowing that history. Right. Definitely. That all makes sense. All right, man. Well, I'm a huge fan of your music and uh, thank you for doing all the work that you do. I think it's, it's, it's an incredible piece of the puzzle in, in American history. Oh, thank you so much. And will we see you at Elko? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be out there for sure. Awesome. Make sure to come up and say hello. It'd be great to put a face to a voice. All right. I definitely will. All right. Well, thank you again so much and we'll, we'll see you in Elko. Feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. 